0: Welcome to We Talk Banking and Finance from Walkers, where every fortnight we talk to colleagues and peers about the latest trends in offshore finance. Welcome to The Walkers' We Talk Banking and Finance podcast. I'm John LaRossineil, partner in the banking and finance team in Jersey, and I'm joined today by Alice White, an associate in our Jersey office.
1: Hi, John. So,
0: Alice, on today's podcast, we'll be talking to Andrea Harris, a director in the recovery and reorganisation department at Grant Thornton Limited in the Channel Islands, to discuss financing matters, but through the eyes of an insolvency professional. But before we get to that, the last two weeks have seen world leaders descend on Glasgow for COP26. And Alice, I know you've been following this closely. So can you tell us a bit about what's been going on and with a particular eye, I suppose, on the finance aspect?
1: So yeah, a lot of the discussions and negotiations that have been taking place over the last two weeks have very much been centred around finance. And The critical importance of finance and achieving those ambitious but absolutely essential goals around the net zero commitments and achieving that 1.5 degree target that we have all heard about. So some of the headlines coming out of Finance Day there last week included Mark Carney's £95 trillion commitment of private capital to transitioning the world to net zero, that is just a huge number and one we haven't heard thrown around before. Coupled with that, the UK also made that announcement that they intend to draw up a verification scheme for the corporate net zero transition plans. So that is planned to come in, start coming into force by 2023. Finally, it's ultimately been claimed this COP26 will very much be remembered as the event where private funding rather than public sector really came to the fore. These are very much headlines and developments that a lot of our clients will be following and monitoring very, very closely. But it seems that the time for sitting back and watching these developments and making plans has almost run out. And now we are seeing more and more of our clients make their own commitments, implement their own policies. And in particular, lenders and borrowers are having an increasing number of very important conversations around these ESG and sustainability linked. Loans, financings, bonds, and really how lenders can support their clients in this transition. And recently we spoke to Bradley Davison at RBSI on that very point on one of our previous podcasts. So certainly our listeners can go and check that out if they want to hear a bit more about it. It seems very clear to me that this sustainable finance space will continue to move and evolve at an incredible pace. It really is just spreading like a wildfire. And I certainly think we'll continue to see more and more of this in our day-to-day finance transactions. And talking of day-to-day, what is keeping you busy at the moment, John? What do you expect to keep you busy in the run-up to Christmas?
0: Yes, well, uh, thanks, Alex. It's, it's definitely a traditionally very busy time to be uh, any sort of corporate or or, or finance lawyer, and, and, this, and this Christmas proves to be no different. Um, we are seeing plenty of activity, but against a sort of a really broad range of instructions. Um, The well-documented change in LIBOR uh, or the phasing out of it by the end of the year is is certainly keeping plenty of loan activity um, or loan activity high um, on the amendment and, and and restatement side. We are seeing um, a really nice array of new instructions on the on the property finance side. So there there is still um, there is still demand for the right assets. Um, people are looking for opportunities to buy and develop, in particular uh, land. And because of the size of those transactions, they typically is always leveraged. Um, they're always leveraged. So there's financing activity uh, in connection therewith. Also, uh, on the on the darker side of things, I guess is um, we we are starting to see um, more distress, particularly in the real estate finance market, and um, I guess that combined with us not really knowing what Christmas will look like this year in terms of COVID cases seem to be rising again and um, across both the, the islands and and in and in the UK, and so. Um, it may be the case that we have supply chain issues which are affecting our business and not just whether we have um whether we have turkey and champagne on the on the table for Christmas, but every day we do seem to wake up to news of another u k administration it seems and um whilst I think it still remains fair to say that work in the true restructuring space continues to be a little quiet. You can see creditors starting to focus more on the state of health of their debtors. Now, the government funding supports and restrictions on enforcement action have all been all but been withdrawn. So in the meantime, we find ourselves doing, um, as I say, a good deal of uh, stressed real estate financing.
1: That's great. Thanks, John. And now on to today's episode.
0: Well, we've seen plenty of activity in the recent months in the grey space between what is a banking and finance matter and and when it becomes a restructuring matter. Um, So we thought it would be a great opportunity to look at that activity through the eyes of an insolvency practitioner. And so we've invited along today Andrea Harris from Grant Thornton Limited in Guernsey. Andrea, it's great to have you on today. Um, welcome, to, welcome to the podcast. Um, why don't we kick off by you telling us a little bit more about who you are and yourself and your practice.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a delight to be invited to, to have a chat with you guys today. Um, I'm a director in the recovery and reorganisation team of Grant Thornton Channel Islands. So we're a pan-island firm um, and a pan-island practice. Um, so I take appointments in Guernsey and Jersey uh, and also some appointments further afield with our uh, Grant Thornton international colleagues in places such as BVI and Cayman and um, other uh, luxurious far-flung jurisdictions. Um, we're a team of about 20 across the two islands. Um, yeah, so we're the, the biggest r and practice in the Channel Islands um, and we have a range of specialties from solvent voluntary liquidations up to uh, complex contentious cross-border insolvency matters and uh, we do a fair bit of forensic uh, accounting and investigative work as well.
1: That's great, Andrea. It's great to hear and lovely, as John said, to have you on today. So jump in And then a bit into market activity. It was predicted by um, market participants that the financial and economic consequences of the pandemic would lead to more restrictions and even enforcement action being taken by lenders. But that doesn't really seem to have materialized, at least to the extent that we would have expected We still largely seem to be seeing lenders supporting borrowers in various ways, particularly from our perspective by extending facility terms, for example. Does that align with what you're seeing in the market? Can you give us a bit of an insight into what you have been seeing?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think 18 months
1: ago, um,
2: we were all thinking that we'd be extremely busy extremely quickly. Um, and we're here, like we say, 18 months later, with no real sort of peak in, in the offshore market activity around, um, you know, in, insolvency matters or um, or you know, formal appointments around um, debt restructuring. And, you know, speaking to many people in the market in the sort of legal advisory space, it seems that a lot of advice is being given to lenders in relation to their options available under their securities. Um, and as you say, you know, potential extensions and, and that sort of a thing being given. Um, but it does seem that there's still a reluctance uh, in the marketplace for anybody to be actually taking enforcement action at, at this time. And, and I think that the last administration, which I think we we were expecting to see quite a few of those um, in the previous 18 months, you know, the last one we were appointed to was actually before the pandemic had actually hit. So um, we really haven't seen much in the space of of formal um, appointment work, whether it be for an administration or or liquidation perspective.
0: So are you doing more advice in the contingency planning phases at at this stage? Is is that fair to say? Because certainly from our perspective, we've been... uh, we've written a lot of memos around uh how someone would enforce potentially security and um, plus also um we've been and that's both at the outset of the transaction but also um when it gets to um a default situation and lenders are scrutinizing or revisiting once again a a, a security package they have um, so we've been giving that advice. Plus, also we've been looking and doing a security review. So looking at what the op- what the options are, but looking at where the assets are, is the security perfected over? Um, over uh, the asset in question? And, and what's effectively the best um, recourse or the best way of, of, of exiting the structure for a secured creditor? So have you, have you been doing lots of, is there, has there been lots of activity around the contingency planning, if not necessarily pushing the
2: button? That, there has been a bit of activity in that space, but I, I am, you know, like I say, I would have expected to have seen more. Um, and the sort of bulk of the work that we've been doing is probably akin to what we would see in a, in a general, um, you know, what we have seen over the past few years. Um, and we have, you know, we might just be coincidental, but it seems that there are some funds that are heading towards the end of their life. Um, and, you know, the uh, administrators are looking to give investors, you know, the opportunity to either cash out and move on with their money. Um, or roll over into a like a similarly structured uh, fund uh, where they can continue sort of a, a longer term investment objective um we've also seen um you know just the the usual of of people who are you know doing a bit of restructuring of of groups and uh, you know realizing that there are um offshore companies that are, are now long no longer of any benefit to to these structures and you know looking forward to sort of exiting those um out, out of structures so that's probably um some of what we've been seeing and then also I guess in in the forensic accounting space um, you know I think um, whilst COVID may be the reason for some businesses um, collapsing and maybe some future activity we might see um, there is a bit of um, positive activity around um, trying to get ahead of the game Um, we've had some work where we've got a corporate trustee who's aware of some actions that's going on um, in another jurisdiction that involving some associated entities of a, a offshore structure and so so they've got us in ahead of time to actually look at sort of um, doing some cash tracing um, analysis to, to get ahead of the game if that entity is brought into this litigation um, in the other jurisdiction.
1: So interesting, Andrea. And could you tell us a bit about what should secured creditors be doing if they did want to enforce or? drive an insolvency process what sort of actions should they be thinking about oh number one talk to your lawyer so give walkers a
2: call um you know that's, that's probably first and foremost really um but you know i think um having an open dialogue with your clients as well is extremely important um they may you know they may be you know, as I just mentioned, uh, taking proactive steps to look at what options they may have as well. And they may have um, something that they're considering that could, you know, benefit the secured lender as well, whether it be a refinancing option or potentially restructuring um, their debt in ways that perhaps the secured lender may not be party to um, without actually having those open dialogues with each other. Of course, you know, having the the lawyers get involved to review the security documentation to make sure that there are adequate rights and, and remedies available to the secured creditor, um, you know, in the instance of a default or or similar um, is extremely important. And, you know, um, considering whether, you know, Pushing a button on an enforcement action will actually result in a, a desired outcome, or whether maybe a softer approach, um, with even potentially getting someone like Grant Thornton involved as a, a sort of a overseer and independent party for a restructuring, um, may also be of a benefit.
0: Thank you. And is, is it some, so? I think one thing we're increasingly seeing, and I'm, and I'm sure for an organisation like Grant Thornton Limited as well, it's the same case. But it's a, it's work across across jurisdictions um and whenever we're doing um planning around potential enforcement or restructuring, be they consensual solvent or insolvent there's there always seems to, it never seems to be done in in, in isolation. Um, I, I guess probably for the benefit of those listening to this call, what what would be really helpful is um, just to give a bit of an overview of of actually what what are the processes that are involved in 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 the Channel Islands, and 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 because I think. One of potentially one of the limiting factors, and sometimes it does come as a surprise to those who enter into these secured transactions, is is actually how um uh, what is the nature of the processes and, and and the unavailability, for example, of processes that they would be more um, familiar with in 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 the UK. So I guess two 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 parts really is um what, what is what is available in the cha- in in the Channel Islands and and also how how do you see those interacting with with um, an interna- international process, for, for example, or, or one that started in a, in a, in a different forum?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I think uh, Guernsey as an island and, and jurisdiction of law is probably most akin to, say, the UK, um, which I think a lot of people might be listening from. And we do have an administration regime uh, in Guernsey as well as a compulsory liquidation regime, which are, are both overseen by the courts. So we don't have a voluntary administration regime um like a lot of other jurisdictions do um but we do have um a remedy whereby application could be made to the court for an administration which is going to see a better outcome than than going straight into a compulsory liquidation and and we've seen that recently one of the jobs that we've had um, is an administration which was um, partial completion of a a building project in in London um, with some commercial and residential property if that had gone straight into a liquidation process you know everybody obviously associates negativity with liquidation um, and we've been able to um, execute a sale contract for that um, and oversee the build-out and then um, get quite a good result for, for the secured creditor in, in that instance. Um, then we've got yeah, the compulsory liquidation procedure and then um, there's sort of the voluntary procedure. And, and interestingly in Guernsey at the moment, there's, there's no distinction in a, a member's voluntary winding up between a solvent and insolvent uh, liquidation. Uh, and there's, there's no requirement of a sort of independence around uh, the appointed liquidator. So of course, as, as Grant Thornton Limited would say, make sure you have an independent party appointed um, but at the at the moment, that's not necessarily a, a requirement, um, and that's being looked at by um, some ref- proposed reforms to to the Guernsey insolvency law and and, and rules. Um, in Jersey, it's different again. Um, there is no administration regime available in Jersey. To some people, I think they see that as a, a positive thing for the for the Jersey jurisdiction. Um, for people like myself, I, I see it as um, you know a bit of an impediment um, for secured lenders to perhaps enforce their rights um, against uh, against uh, delinquent companies. Um, and also, the compulsory uh, regime in Jersey is um, is is not one whereby um, the applicant creditor can appoint uh, or nominate a liquidator of their choice uh, in Jersey um a compulsory appointment is, is a called a day and um, the viscount which is akin to an official receiver is, is appointed to oversee the liquidation or days procedure um, for a company so um that's you know something that's a bit quirky and a bit different to um, to the regimes in, in Jersey and and generally across the Channel Islands um, we would have spoken about there but um, there are some you know proposed changes in the works at the moment for a bit of reform uh, in both islands.
1: That's great thank you Andrea you did touch on that there the insolvency reforms that are planned for both islands and keeping on that theme then one thing we like to ask all our guests is Looking into your crystal ball, if we were to ask you on again in, say, 12 months time, which we very much hope we will be able to do. What do you think we'll be talking about in the space then? Like I said, I think 18 months ago, we thought we'd be in a flurry of activity,
2: which we haven't necessarily seen offshore. I think it could be you know, potentially another six to 12 months before we see the real fallout and, and impact um, that COVID may have had. Um, and let's not forget as well, this little thing called Brexit and whether that has actually had any impact on, on what we are seeing, and what we may see, and whether some of that Uh, impact has actually been masked or overshadowed by what's been happening with COVID. So, um, yeah, I mean, the the law reforms in Guernsey and Jersey – So what we're looking at in Guernsey is um, some proposed changes um, to the law, which has actually been all approved by the states and is just waiting to be enacted. And um, that is more just sort of bringing um, the Guernsey law into a bit more of the 21st century around um, some procedural aspects for notification, creditors meetings, um, proof of debt procedures and those sorts of things, which I think most of us are already doing in practice, but codifies it and gives a bit more clarity to stakeholders. Um, in Jersey, there's recently been a consultation on some proposed changes to the law over there to allow for creditors to apply and nominate their own liquidators for a, a court-appointed uh, liquidator. Um, to Some of the proposed changes we're going to see in Jersey as well that have been out for consultation is around uh, registration of insolvency practitioners and a residency requirement um, for at least one appointee to be resident in Jersey. Um, and then also um, what we talked about, maybe some changes around um, the procedure for Dayzars moving to something more akin to what we have in, in Guernsey and other Commonwealth jurisdictions for the applicant creditors to, to nominate their own liquidators. And that would help probably um, give um, some more time to the Viscount in Jersey for, for the various other roles that she undertakes over there.
1: Thank you, Andrew. That's great. Some some really insightful insightful information there. Really appreciate it. Hopefully we do speak to you again soon. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Thanks so much, guys.
2: You've been listening to We Talk Banking
0: and Finance from Walkers, your bi-weekly podcast for the latest insights from around our teams in Europe, Asia and the Caribbean. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share and subscribe.